Hello, this is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from a beautiful, partially cloudy Key Largo. If you're not familiar with the Keys bartender show, it's about bartending and Keys lifestyle, which is generally life in general. Today we're going to be talking about our seasonals leaving and saying goodbye to those people we get used to um, part of the year, part of the year, but they're really with us all the time. And also uh, at the beginning, I want to talk about pouring a drink. And I've done that in the past where I talked about how you should group your drinks, like doing all your cocktails together, all your cream drinks together, all your martinis together, wine, beer, uh, frozen drinks, all that stuff to get at a busy bar, it will save you time immeasurable. Now, at my particular bar, right at this time, all the drinks called from the servers are called from the servers. They're not printed. They're not wrote, written down. Sometimes, you know, on a very busy night, they'll write them down because they can't wait. And I would suggest that you should write them down and get your drinks written down for the bartender if you work at one of those bars where you just call them. But I think nowadays, most people, I'd say maybe 80% of the bars, even more, have a uh, tape that prints out that tells them the order of the drink. Even then, when you get them, you could get several drinks together and you can just scan over the tickets and you can tell those. But I'm not talking about that today because I spoke about that uh, several months ago. What I'm talking about actually pouring the drinks. Now, many places, and especially if you went to bartending school, which sounds like a bugaboo to some bartenders, but bartending school is an excellent place to get a rudimentary understanding on how to apply the craft to bartending. And it gives you all the information you need about understanding what a rye is, what a bourbon, what a scotch, you know, gin, vodka, martinis, frozen drinks, uh, Old fashions, everything you want to think about. Now, you're never taught exactly all the drinks that you do. And matter of fact, there's new drinks that come along all the time. And with the handy-dandy smartphone, you can find almost any drink that's popularized. Obviously, there's always the oddball drink that's made by some bartender in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, that he made up called, you know, a red cannonball, and you may not want know what a red cannonball is. And I bet there is a drink called a red cannonball. I just don't know what it is off the top of my head. Now, if someone tells me what it is, I can kind of figure it out. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're just talking about making drinks fast. Now, after all those things about, like I said, when you're making martinis, you should make all your martinis together and all your cocktails together, all your frozen drinks and stuff like that. Pouring the drinks. I'm just specifically talking about pouring them. And in bartending school, they'll teach you how to pour drinks using the double-sided shot cups. And the shot cups have... Um, generally an ounce and a half, ounce and a quarter, There's, and there's a two-ounce cup. There's all different size one, but generally most people make one, uh, there's a one-ounce pour, there's a, an ounce and a quarter pour, and then a two-ounce pour. Let's say in general. So it would behoove you if you're in a, let's say you're allowed to do, if you had to do those, you got to have some rinse water next to you so you can rinse out your pouring cup so you can't really use a shot glass after pouring uh, 
using a shot cup and pouring Baileys. You don't want to go right into it without rinsing that off and pouring a vodka with it because you get a cloudy mess in your glass. So it's a little more that what I'm going to be talking about today is doing the free pour. And the free pour is some of the most difficult to get correct. And what, I'm, what I mean by that is people have a tendency to either underpour or even worse, most of the time, overpour. People have a tendency to overpour when they do the free pours. And that's, it's all right to overpour a bit, underpour a bit. When I say a bit, if you have like an ounce, a little over an ounce, and you should have went to an ounce and a quarter, or a, an ounce and a half, and you should have been, you know, an ounce and a quarter like before. But if you're going two ounces instead of an ounce and a quarter, you're almost giving them, you are giving them a double, almost a double shot. And that person who's used to having three gin and tonics, they actually had over five gin and tonics. If you tr- you're all consistently pouring two ounces of gin into a gin and tonic, and that person can quickly go from being all right to being overserved. And obviously, you think you're doing them a favor sometimes. The new bartender does that if you pour extra booze, that extra booze makes a better drink. That's not necessarily true. People, you know, a perfectly crafted cocktail, and I'm not talking about a craft cocktail, perfectly crafted cocktails, uh, a gin and tonic. You generally want to have your the right cocktail glass. Obviously, if you're using a, a tumbler to make a gin and tonic and you're putting an ounce and a quarter in and then filling the rest with tonic, it's going to taste like it's kind of diluted. And we get a lot of people asking for the bigger glass. The bigger glass does not mean you're getting more booze. That's mean you're getting more mixer. That's the way I hear it. Unless you're asking for a double in the bigger glass. And a double to me would be approximately one and a half pours. That's one pour and another half. Now, a true double would be two and a half ounces. Now, in a lot of drinks, that now that's safe. But most places in the country, you cannot, you're not supposed to serve over three ounces of liquor to someone at one time. Because if you think about it, the way you metabolize liquor is about an ounce and a quarter. Shots around the ounce and a quarter or one ounce. And that's the way the body metabolizes. It metabolizes about one ounce of alcohol per hour. And every time you serve in excess of one ounce or an ounce and a quarter, then that person's building up a surplus of alcohol. It's going to take them that much more to metabolize that alcohol and also brings them along to be that further along, more uh, higher uh, blood alcohol level, closer to intoxication, quicker. So if you're serving someone two ounces and while they're drinking an hour and they can metabolize one hour, they get that one extra ounce. And then the next drink they have in the next hour, they're having another two ounces. They have, they metabolize in two hours, two ounces of liquor. You serve them four ounces. They got two more ounces of liquor to metabolize after three, four, just add that time. So after four hours, they have four ounces of alcohol to metabolize. And they're quickly on the way to being intoxicated and being above the limit, above the minimum level of 
blood alcohol content, BAC, that if they got pulled over and then they got tested, they would be guilty of a DUI. So what I'm proposing here is that you get, and it's, it's tough to do, this is where experience comes in. At some bars, they require you use those shot pours. And those shot pours will take time to use. You just learn to get quick at that. That's all you can do. There's no complaining about it. Some people like to have a tight control of their uh, liquor inventory. You just can't pour willy-nilly because they probably seen it. Say some reason they think on the same night, they'll say on when this person's working, we always consistently, um, let's say over the year, if someone works 30 shifts on the same day, on a Thursday night, right? Same, same day of the week. And let's say they go through three bottles of vodka. This person goes through five bottles of vodka consistently. That could be because the other person that goes through five bottles of vodka, uh, it possibly could be because they over pour or it could be they're more popular. Who knows? Now with the free pour, you got to eyeball it. You got to know your glassware. That's a tough thing. And if you work in a place that has inconsistent glassware, meaning your uh, highball glasses and your large rock glasses and the small rock glasses, if they're all different sizes, you have a job to really view what is in there. Normally people say 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. Maybe not that quick, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. That's in a, some pours, depending on how they pour, a free pour, that could be three ounces or that could be an ounce and a half, depending on how slow the pour is. So you have to visualize what an ounce and a quarter is. And the best way to do that, if you're going to attempt to do free pours, is starting to get put ice in your glass for let's say glasses that you serve on the rocks and start visualizing what an ounce is a quarter is in each glass, right? And you can mark them even if you had to put a little, you could put little scratch marks on them. You could put a lower scratch mark for one. You can have one. I know it sounds like you're doing, but you can get a cutter, glass cutters, and you put little cuts on it. You put three cuts on it. The first cut would be an upshot, the second would be on the rocks, and the other would be a double shot rocks. And this way you can consistently see that. Now, when you have ice in a glass, if you pack most ice in a glass, let's say a 10-ounce uh, highball glass, generally they don't get that big. Well, no, 10 ounces is about correct. You would take a sh shot pour, take an ounce and a quarter, pour it a water, because water takes up the same amount of space as liquor does. You pour it over the ice and you can see immediately what that level goes to. And if it's one of those glasses that have that cutaways on the bottom where they have little indentations around the bottle, you can visualize it even better. There's a lot of shot glasses and glasses that have small rings on the bottom to tell you what the pour is or the section of glasses. They'll tell you if this is, you'll notice that Oh, every time I put an ounce and a quarter into ice pack glass, it reaches this level of the indentation of the circle indentation on the back bottom of the glass. And that's a good thing. 
there. But if you can get that down and become adept at it, that'll go a long way into speeding up your service. You do not want to spend your time pouring two to three ounces of liquor in there just because you think it makes a better drink or you're not sure about it. Every so often you check your levels and see what you're doing right. The same thing goes with wine glasses. Because when you're pouring a wine glass, a lot of times in the wine glasses, you're looking for the widest part of the glass and you're bringing it right at that level. You're looking for that and you're eyeballing it. An experienced bartender can eyeball a lot of times. But if you have different size glasses, it's really hard to do that. I have many, uh, I have some sangria glasses. They're, they seem to be about 24 ounces. But a sangria is, a, you, gives a little more freedom there because you're putting a lot of other things in there. And you're putting maybe some other liquids and you're putting it over ice. So you got to be, you got to get, it takes experience to know the levels of alcohol to put into free pour. But free pouring is going to get you faster through a drink order than doing anything else. So if you can come adept at that, you could quickly become the fastest server you've seen in a long, long time. Now, I have a feeling that I, I do that Pretty well, pretty well, and I can handle the speed of that. And, you know, besides doing things, making sure your glasses are clean and stuff like that, knowing your levels are essential and knowing your mix levels. And especially when you're doing things like Long Island iced teas, because you're putting uh, approximately a half ounce of liquor in each level. So you're going to put vodka, gin, rum, a Long Island iced tea, tequila, and triple sec put in when you put them all in you got about two ounces and a quarter of alcohol in there and it's a pretty potent drink now some people think when you make a long island i see it should be an ounce and a quarter ounce and a quarter ounce and a quarter ounce and a quarter that's five ounces before you put in the triple second to long island iced tea you drink three of them that's 15 ounces of liquor you see where i'm going that's more than a half a bottle of liquor And you, my friend, if you're not drinking over a course of 24 hours, you will be intoxicated. Or in the course of, let's say, 12, uh, 14 hours. So drinking those drinks, drinking those three drinks in three hours, leaves you about 12 ounces of liquor to metabolize. I'll leave you with that in this section. Okay, to get to the seasonals. Now, every year, we go through this in Key Largo. As you do in many of these towns, I'm sure that happens in Miami, Fort Lauderdale, whether you're uh, Padre Beach in uh, Texas, New Orleans. uh, We have tourist season, but for here, we get the seasonals. The people that come down here, usually that begins late October until December. We got some people that come here for two months, some people that come here for six months. But they're with us, and they're regulars. They're regular seasonals. We're used to seeing them. And you know that old uh, saying is, absence makes the heart grow fonder. It's true. 
you haven't seen them. And for me, I don't know for any of you other bartenders there or people that are used to dealing with seasonals. When they come here, it seems like they've never left some of them. And some of them, it seems as if when they leave, it takes forever for them to come back. And uh, I guess it comes to a point of them being at the bar all the time. Just the the bar at our place, at the the catch, it takes on a different personality out of season than it does in season. Out of season, meaning when all the snowbirds went north, we get more tourists that come during, let's say, happy hour. Happy hour in season is packed. You got the, the locals and you have the seasonal. And the locals know the snowbirds. Now, when we go out of season, we have the locals and then we have the tourists. And the tourists, you can see they come in there, they're just not used to being there. And it takes on a different character, the bar. And it's not better or worse, it's just different. And you're used to seeing them. It's just the town, the town takes on a different quality of it when you have it. The snowbirds are used to know, they come down here, they know what they're doing, they know where, they know where to shop, they know where to eat, they know where to go. They, when they come in, uh, starting in October and November, they're going to ask for a lowdown, they come to the bar. And they ask me, says, what happened? Is everyone here? Has any, do you know anything about these other people? We had some friends, uh, uh, one of our regulars, uh, Tim and Alice, they did not come this year. Um, because of health reasons, and uh, that's a shame. But they always want to be filled in when they come back in, and they want to know what happened. Anything changes? Is there any place that uh, new ownership? Is there a new place we should go to? If there are any new establishments working, um, opening up, and I'll tell them, and then I'll ask them how they've been, and all you know the rudimentary thing, the rudimentary pleasantries that you go through from day to day. I'm going to pause for one moment. I'll be right back. Hi, I'm back. I'm sorry. I had to take a brief break. A bath. It wasn't a bathroom break. I just I just hit a wall. So I was talking about seasonal. And there's different relationships you develop with the seasonal snowbirds. There's some people that just come into the bar and there's some people you actually talk to more out during my... Uh, and I just segued into that. During my illness, there were several, uh, not the recent one, but when I had my operation two, three years ago, behind my uh, jaw there, I had a little growth taking out. I had a couple people I was talking to, and then the other, they had medical emergencies too. And you grow a little closer to some people than others. And some you grow really close to. You really do. And you miss them when they're not there. And it's you're always expecting to see them come through the door. And it's almost like you've been, and I don't want to make a light of amputation, but it's like you've been amputated. And every time you see someone come through, you're just expecting to see them come through the door. And as if you're missing something. But that's just the nature of it. And the nature of the, uh, the business while we're here in, in a tourist town. 
and we see them here all the time. This time of year, you see people that come from the mainland. We got regulars that, people that have, uh, they rent their homes to uh, the snowbirds. And then in the summertime, they come and spend time here because there's not as many people vying for uh, vacation rentals, which is great. You know, it's great to have those people back. But I really, really enjoy those snowbirds that when they come in here and they hear what they went through in that past year. So uh, we will be looking for all those people that left this year and hope they're doing well and hope they have a safe journey home. On to other things. I'm just down here where we're not exactly the tropics, we're the subtropics, where we're pretty much, uh, other than Hawaii, as tropical as the United States gets when you come down to the Keys. And yesterday I did a wedding. It was an informal wedding. My wife had bought me a nice shirt, and the people that were requesting the ceremony was just going to be a bride and groom. And what I did was I wore a nice pair of shorts, uh, some sandals, and a nice gauzy long sleeve shirt. And it only went up to, let's say, yesterday, maybe 82 degrees outside. But you know what? I still sweat like I was going to say, I was going to say a prostitute in church. But I, that is not, I don't think that is appropriate anymore. I, I just sweat profusely. I think that's what um, when you get to a certain age, you just sweat a little more. Just the nature of it. I had a friend, uh, Billy, up in Philadelphia, and he used to uh, he used to say once it goes above fifty five degrees, and he's wearing uh, a shirt, a long sleeve shirt, he's sweating. He's sweating. And it's just the way the way the things down here. So knowing how to properly dress down here, and how to request how people dress. Years ago, let's say it wasn't too long ago, fifty, no, actually probably sixty years ago, when most of the men and businessmen down here would wear linen suits, and they must have smelled some somewhat horrendous. Think of all that moisture socked in down here in that sun and that humidity and when I think about the weddings that they have down here most of the weddings you see in the summertime you see people in white pants, white shirts uh, women in the wedding dresses uh, wedding dresses seem to be so hot I have no idea how much that would uh, I'll tell you a story at another time I did I, I did have this chance to try on a wedding dress at one time. And that's the closest I've gotten to, I guess, dressing up. I didn't put on the makeup or anything like that. I used to be an employee for a catering uh, business. I was a um, catering manager, and it was a family-owned business, and we'd have a big Christmas party. And one at a time, every for a couple of years, I would uh, be the one that handled the gift exchange, and it used to be about 70 people would do gift exchange. I'd hand them out, and I'd have to kind of do a impromptu roast about each person, say something about each person. And 
what I did, because it was a catering operation, we did a lot of weddings, I dressed up as we called it the Rosewood Bride. And I grew a, a light beard and all that stuff. No insult to the other brides that were at the... But that's what I came up with at the time. One time I was dressed like an elf, another time kind of like Santa Claus. I think I did it Santa Claus. No, I think it was just the elf. I did the old man dress up. I think I dressed up like an old lady at one time. And the, then I ran out of ideas, I think. I just went up and did uh, what it looked like, one of those Dean Martin roasts. But how a bride can get a veil on and put a wedding dress under this sun, I just don't get it. I see some of them doing more tropical clothes, but just the way people dress down here, it's as if they discount the humidity and the temperature says, well, we're supposed to wear tuxedos. I see people wearing those wool tuxedos in the tropical sun. And I'm thinking, you just got to be, it's got to be pouring out of you. I'm just waiting to hear uh, of a medical emergency at a wedding. Uh, matter of fact, uh, coming up this Tuesday, I have a friend of mine who... Uh, performs weddings and I'm filling in for me. He says, listen, it's going to be a suit at this wedding at 4.30 in the afternoon. I said, 4.30 in the afternoon? Um, wait, it's, it's, I think it is tomorrow. Um, and I'm ready for it. And I'm thinking, wow, how am I going to get through this? I mean, I, I have a hard time just wearing the long sleeve shirt in this uh, climate. I don't know how to do it. It's. I guess you got to just be comfortable with the sweat. And you have to pick colors that just don't stand out when you're pitting out. I know it sounds kind of disgusting to see you pitting out. Same thing with the pants. You don't want to have a thing that makes you look like you wet your pants. But I think when you sweat profusely, one of those people that sweat profusely, I don't know there's a way to circumvent that. I used to think that it was because of, you know, me sweating out alcohol that I had consumed. But I don't. I don't drink anymore. And my blood pressure isn't necessarily higher. My heart rate's not higher. My temperature's a certain thing. So why would I sweat that profusely? Some people sweat profusely and you just can't handle it. And it just looks like it gives off the air of nervousness. Like whatever... Like something's going on with this guy. He's hiding something. Because look at him sweating. There's sweat coming off his nose. I've had it one time when I'm reading, reading the ceremony for a wedding where I had the sweat just dripping off my nose onto this, uh, the words I had printed out on the ceremony thing. And there's nothing you could do. You just go and do it. And you just say, this is the way I am. This is the way I sweat. I used to see guys do this the guys in my catering business um when i was working catering years ago they they'd wear a west a vest a west a vest over with a wool jacket over top of it and those rooms even in february when it was 20 degrees outside just there's nothing you could the only thing to cool off the place when you have like 250 people dancing in a room would be to open up all the doors. And even then, sometimes it doesn't even feel like it would cool off the room much. So 
down here, I just suggest people say the less clothes, the better. Not necessarily a nude wedding. Not necessarily a nude wedding. But, you know, you think about shade. You think about less layers. It's just unless you're doing it inside. I don't know how they do the I don't know how they do the uh, pictures outside because I've seen photographers that take about 30, 40 minutes to set up shots, get people the bigger the bridal party. I, I would suggest if you are getting married in the tropics to have as small a bridal party as you can handle. Get the shots done as early as possible before the full heat of day and make sure that you know that the people that are wearing the, uh, wearing the clothes are people that can handle the heat. Just just one of those things. And you're just thinking that if you're coming down from Nebraska and right now in Nebraska, northern Nebraska, it could be in the 30s. Down here, it's in the upper 80s. You did not build up your heat tolerance and you don't want to be able to find out that your Uncle Earl in a jacket will not be able to handle the heat and he's going to be, you're going to lose him. You're going to lose him the heat stroke. So, be careful when you're coming down here. Think about your heat tolerance and think about going, as I say, people, remember, it gets hot down here and it's humid. So, and if you're comfortable with, if you're comfortable with sweat, go with sweat. That's all I have to say. Thank you very much. I'll be back again tomorrow. I hope you have a great day. This is Jim the Keys Bartender signing off. Bye.